Hi, thanks for listening to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This is Lou Ascanio, the dad, and you'll note that we have preempted our typical uh, subject matter, which is digging into the latest scientific findings on how to live longer and better lives, essentially how to ex- extend our health span, uh, to focus on this pandemic. So, and in particular, uh, focus on the experiences of Nicole, the doctor, uh, within her family medicine practice in Omaha, Nebraska. Eventually, we will get back to our uh, typical health span focus, but uh, expect that as this crisis runs its course, that uh, we will be providing regular updates uh, again from. primarily from Nicole's perspective on the pandemic. Again, thanks for listening and stay safe. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So this is the latest installment of what's become our weekly series on COVID-19. I think this is the, yes. the, the fifth episode in a row that we focused on, on the uh, pandemic du jour. Yeah, it's really the only thing going on in the world right now. It's hard to think about talking about anything. And we're not alone. You know, many of the doctors and scientists I follow on Twitter and Instagram and and podcasts have gone to like full COVID coverage. (laughs) Well, because it's not just, you know, that main topic in healthcare right now. It's the main topic in like every part of your life. The economy in particular. The economy, physical health, mental health, your kids, schooling, just everything. It's like all encompassing. You can't avoid it. Yeah, I heard someone um, refer to, you know, we're going to we're going to think of time as, you know, B.C. before coronavirus and and A.C. Mm -hmm. after coronavirus. Yeah, I see these things, too. I haven't been able to read. There's so much you can potentially read on this but about how life after coronavirus is never going to be quite the same quote unquote the same i don't know what they mean by that i mean i'm sure there's so many different aspects of that but i hope at least um our preparedness for something like this is forever changed you would you would (laughs) think although you know i've heard from from some other you know researchers who have been kind of um banging the the bell for ringing the bell for you know decades around the the risk mm-hmm. of a pandemic that mm-hmm. you know it didn't occur um after aids it didn't occur after ebola it didn't occur after sars or one or mears uh, but none of those had the impact that absolutely. this had yeah i mean none of them shut down the economy like this none of right. them so you could I, I guess the, so many so quickly. The, the the proper analog might be uh 9-11 you know where yeah. where our preparedness to deal with terrorism just completely changed. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, hopefully that the other, the other potentially positive thing I've, I've heard that, that could come from this is, is that we listen and, and, and take to heed the warnings of scientists. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and we, we kind of, because it, it seems like over the past, I don't know, three, four years, let's say, um, that um, you know the 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 validity of scientific research and findings and statements and warnings, all that sort of thing, 
kind of got diminished. I think there's so many people in the world, particularly in this country, who um, you know are more willing, let's say, for example, to believe a political leader than a than a, than a science, than an expert. Right. Right. So hopefully, um, hopefully the, uh, the the experts are are um, elevated to to some extent in this. So. Um, I think right. the latest counts I saw, you know, I, I follow that Johns Hopkins site. Do you, do you look at that yep. on, in terms of the numbers? Had mm-hmm. the U.S. case um, confirmed case count up upwards of well, approaching 350,000. I don't think it's quite there yet. Um, yep. And we'll probably get to 10,000 deaths today, unfortunately. Yesterday alone, there are over 1,300 deaths. Yeah. Um, and and did you uh, did you get a chance? I, I sent you a link to this kind of, kind of a, I don't know, little video counter that shows the leading causes of death in the U.S. It's like the 15 or so. Leading yeah. Causes. Yep. I've actually seen that from a couple different Sources. places. Mm-hmm. That is that, you know, talk about a picture t- telling a thousand words, huh? Right. I know. That's it crazy. goes from not so COVID-19 deaths not even being on the radar um, as of the 1st of March to uh, was it yesterday was the fourth yeah yesterday was the fourth of April it's now the third leading cause by a by a good margin over the fourth leading cause Uh, only behind heart disease and cancer Um, but it'll it'll be number one probably if not today tomorrow somewhere in the next next couple of days Yep. And, yep. And, and it'll probably stay that way, you know, unfortunately, through the end of April or so before. I bet you maybe. Oh, almost, maybe even. Almost certainly. Yeah, maybe. Probably later, probably longer. Because what we're what you look at with all of this stuff is, you know, this is we're probably getting into like you've heard when the you know White House talks um, with their experts that the peak that we're going to see a lot in the next two weeks and that most of the country will probably, or at least most of the population, maybe not most of the country, but most of the population will peak maybe in two weeks. Um, But that just means peak. So, and that's just for part of the parts of the country that are, that are highly impacted right now. You're talking, we're talking like a year of, of seeing this in the community and and not a year of it being having this kind of impact but once people go back to normal life there's still way more people who haven't gotten it than have so as we kind of migrate back to normal things people are going to catch this like they catch the cold still it's just going to be fortunately not everybody getting it at one time but you're not going to see like it's not like two or two more weeks and we'll be through this you know to, on some level, we're going to be seeing coronavirus either in doctors' offices, hospitals, you know, schools for probably the next eight to twelve months, if not. And then the question is, what happens after that? Does it become a cyclical thing like influenza? Does it, you know, shift and um, does it mutate? And do we see some something, you know, some type of COVID similar um, type of illness yeah. every single every year? until and and with a reasonable impact until there's enough immunity out there from everyone getting it and you know so it's it's not something that's just gonna because people keep asking well so when is what's the 
what's the long-term outcome here? Like another month? When do, when do we go back to normal? I know exactly. Yeah. And that, and it, that is the, um, the, 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 the frightening thing is if let's say we peak in the next couple of weeks so mid, mid April or so, like you said, that, um, that, that peak is in the, you know, those higher population areas that get hit first, um, right. you know, New York, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, those, but the rest of the country. still. so you got that, you know, you got that slow decline through, let's say the month of May, but, but right. even by, I've seen estimates by the end of May, still 95% of the U S population won't have been infected and therefore right. is not immune to exactly. an infection. Uh, well, that's why it's like some degree of, you know, isolation or being more careful than you otherwise would is going to be, is going to be important for months and months. The new normal. Yeah. And there's, yeah. it's still a, a very much an open question of how much uh, summer weather will impact it. Will it, will it, will it right. tamp it down? Because uh, we see that very, you know, very predictably with influenza. Um, but you know, I just looking at the months and summer months in other parts of the world that are being hit just as hard, like Australia, they're not saved because they're it's their summertime. Right. I've, and I've heard yeah. like cases are um, spiking in places like Ecuador, which is, you know, perennially mm -hmm. tropical, humid, mm -hmm. hot, what have you. Yeah, it just doesn't. It's just a very interesting um Virus. Well, it's yeah, and it's interesting a couple of ways. We'll, we'll kind of get into that, but I'm I'm curious about your um, experiences because last time we spoke, I think you just had your first presumptively positive patient. So I'm I'm curious, how's she doing, or was it a she or he? Yes, it's a she. Uh, much better. She was kind of rough for probably she probably had it for five or so days when it wasn't too bad, leading up to seeing me. And then fairly significant symptoms, but not needing hospitalization for about a week and now getting better. Gotcha. So kind of a, probably I would call her course more, <clears throat> I wouldn't call it obviously severe, but more significant than the majority, because the majority are probably even more mild than that. Um, that wouldn't even necessarily prompt you to go to your doctor. Right. I've heard but, that. I, I've, I've read that somewhere around 50% of the cases are either mild or as, completely asymptomatic. You don't even right. don't have any symptoms. Right. Another 30% are moderate. So that's what she might fit into. She was probably moderate. Yep. And then 20% is severe enough to, you know, and I think the severe by definition, you're hospitalized to some extent and that, you know, and then um, like a quarter of those patients go on to ICU ventilation right. that that sort of thing but you know and, and and that is interesting and and something we don't have the answer for is why does it affect people so differently it is you know there's a i think a lot of a lot of potential hypotheses out there about why certain people get affected because there's the obvious ones where it's people who are otherwise unhealthy and i i don't care if it's heart health i don't care if it's you know, lung problems, smoking, obesity, just in general, if you have comorbidities, you have a higher likelihood of severe illness, but then you can break it down into which ones are more likely to cause more severe illness. Um, and it seems like cardiac is the worst, mm -hmm. um, but lungs are certainly not, you know, asthma and COPD and all that stuff, certainly not um, out of the woods. 
diabetes is a big one. We're seeing a lot of people with severe illness with a lot of insulin resistance. So diabetes is a big one. Um, but then there's plenty of people who have no underlying illness who, and and I'm I'm really elderly either. No, that aren't exactly. So that's not common, but it happens. But, but to that, I would say that happens with influenza every year too. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. There's otherwise completely healthy young people who die of the flu every year. And part of that is looking at something, you know, you can get ARDS. um, And that's kind of where the lungs end up kind of failing um, and you're in respiratory distress, but, but what young people and, and elderly people can get is the cytokine storm kind of problem where your immune system just goes into overdrive trying to protect you. But, you know, the downstream effects of this, the, the cytokine storm um, ends up being like florid, just, you know, multi-organ failure. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's, the, it's the paradoxical situation where your mm-hmm. immune system has responded too strongly. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary, that's the scary that's the part, that's the thing that I worry about <laughs> with influenza every year. I mean, we had influenza A and B go through my house. Um, and, you know, I never used to worry about it until I went to medical school and started learning and seeing otherwise totally healthy people become so um, affected by mm-hmm. it. Again, not commonly, but it happens. And that's why I used to think, oh, Tamiflu, what a joke. It only decreases your duration of illness, you know, by a day and a half, who cares? Um, but it decreases, you know, overall severity and day and a half could be pretty substantial when you're looking at something like this. Right. If you're talking about like a, t- a tipping point type of mm-hmm. situation that, that could save your life. But so have you, have, did you have any other um, confirmed cases or presumptive cases? Um, so we are so unbelievably restricted on testing that I would say I've seen a lot of people, um, who I would test. I mean, anyone who comes in right now with any kind of respiratory symptoms, not just respiratory, it's so according to the CDC, what they're saying now is any, not all any, um, either fever, shortness of breath, cough, sore throat, now GI symptoms as well, diarrhea, um, upset stomach. And then a lot of other organizations are including like the change in taste and smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, and then some, sometimes it just presents with profound fatigue. So it, it honestly can be like any Anything. range of symptoms. Yeah. And right now, because we're kind of flu season is dwindling, I still see some positive flus. Um, but for the most part, that's good. That's become, um, less likely. So as this ramps up, at least in Nebraska, where it has been a slow, I would have expected, honestly, for us to be seeing a lot more of this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the testing isn't helping, um, because it is so unbelievably restricted. But if you just look at the hospitals and, and where we're at with hospitalizations for this stuff, uh, you know, we haven't, um, certainly haven't peaked by any stretch, probably will be another three weeks or so. Um, but that just tells you how spread out people in the Midwest are. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got too many people in the state and people are fairly spread out. And even Omaha itself is huge, um, you know. Right. So you don't have that miles. densely um, packed right. population. And that makes a huge difference um, compared to like what you're seeing in New York City. That just tells you, I mean, people are, are living on top of each other there. And it just... There's no, 
there's almost nothing you can do to prevent something like that when yeah. that's the case. I've read that that if if you do have symptoms and you don't and you test positive for for the flu, you should just presume that that you have COVID nineteen. That's, you mean you if you test negative? You if, I mean yeah, if you test negative for the flu. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're getting what we're getting to um, is. I think the majority of people I've seen with, with these symptoms and most commonly it's respiratory. Um, but still I've saw a handful of people with just GI stuff and they're not severe. So if they're not severe, they're not healthcare workers. They aren't in like law enforcement or first responders and they don't work in a nursing home or live in a nursing home. If that, those things do not apply, then I can't get them tested in Nebraska. You either have to be hospitalized. You have to be a healthcare worker law enforcement, first responder, nursing home worker. Gotcha. Uh, so it, it implies those, are high, those are high risk groups who can pass it on to others. Know, but, it, but that implies if there were, if there were adequate tests, then you could test a, a lot broader. Oh, absolutely. So that's, that's what I have to do with my hospital system because we don't have enough supplies and enough swabs. But if you look at the Nebraska health department's website, they say test anybody over the age of 65 period with, with a symptom, any symptom. Um, anyone with any medical comorbidity that could increase their risk of severe illness, anybody, any age with a comorbidity, and then all those other things that I... So the the state's guidelines are broader than your hospital system guidelines. But but we have to conserve. We don't have enough swabs. We don't have enough viral media. We don't have enough anything. So So it doesn't matter what the state or federal government says for that matter. What matters is the practical on the ground. Correct. Exactly. So you hear recommendations from whether it's your state or um, the government test, test, test. Any doctor can order a test, blah, blah, blah. Well, that sounds nice in theory, but actually I can't. I cannot get you tested unless you qualify. And even if you do qualify, that doesn't mean you're going to get tested. Yeah. So I, I have not seen those those types of stories in the press generally right. um, at, at, you know, in the past two weeks, let's say. I, I think well, the pres- presumption is we can just test anyone who we need to test or we want oh, to test. Oh, it's a joke. So I'm still waiting. I had one person who waited 16 days for his test results. God. Because the test result went from our micro lab that ruled out any other viruses or respiratory pathogens. Because if you can find something else, then don't, the, the idea is don't waste a test. Right, right. Even though there is plenty of instances where people have two things at one time. So Good point. take that for what it's worth, but they're not wasting. They're trying to find something else. So you don't find something else. Then um, we're, we were able to send to some of the commercial tests, testing um, places like Quest and LabCorp. So I sent some tests just from our office to LabCorp, kind of bypassing our hospital system who wouldn't allow me or you know mm-hmm. my patients didn't meet criteria so like okay well i think this patient should be tested let me go the commercial route and send to lab corp so it goes from here in omaha to overland park kansas and then flown to burlington north carolina because that's, <laughs> that's there's like headquarters. three places there's three places you know with yep. lab corp that are doing this test and then from that point on it was 12 days before the test result came back because they had a backlog of 160,000 tests. God, see, that's not been reported either. <laughs> so, like, and that's useless at yeah, that point. This dude's been at home for over two weeks. Well, you, you know, hope, and you hope the person has been at home. But if I, if I, if that was me, yeah, 
Right. And I started feeling a little better. Right. I'd be out, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so so it's just it's like laughable almost. Um, I've still got two other tests that are pending with LabCorp that I told them, you know, if you don't hear from me, I don't have your result because I'll let you know as soon as I do. But it is crazy. Though then everyone, everything seems to be like focused on the numbers in each state. It's like, oh, this many cases and this many deaths. Um, This state only has this many and this state has this many. Um, But it's irrelevant because I, we can't. (laughs) test people right so you don't you don't know your your um right you don't you don't even know what your baseline is and right unless you test I, I have, so like, for also... example for example new york has done two hundred and eighty four thousand tests and they have almost 20 million people okay yep and then we'll kind of go down the line. So North Carolina has done almost 39,000 tests and they have a, you guys have about 10 and a half million people. Okay. Yep. Yep. So then, a lot, so per capita, a lot less than New York. Right. But, if, but so, and, and the, a lot of resources are going to New York right now. Um, so I get that. I understand why they have done so many tests. Nebraska, we have, just under 2 million people and we've done 5,400 tests. Yeah. I'm trying to do the math there. That's not many. <laughs> 5,400 tests. That's like, out of, yeah. And what's interesting about that is South Dakota has less than half as many people as us. And they've done the same number of tests. So twice per capita, what you got. So why, like, and why? What's going on? With, with I can't even. Nebraska. Yeah. It's crazy. The only state that is that is more, in my opinion, of a conundrum than Nebraska is Oklahoma. They have four million people, twice as many as us, and they've done half as many tests. <laughs> so I'm like, why aren't people in Oklahoma just like losing their mind? Well, um, so I bet you some medical practitioners in your position are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it's if it's tough where where you are, it's even tougher there. Um, right. And, um, you know, they talk about, okay, watch out, you know, for the next hotspots being, uh, whether it is places like Omaha or um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or or Mm -hmm. what have you. That's that's what you get because you just don't don't test, then people aren't isolating. And that's why the best thing you can do is test, test, test. I find these people contact trace. So find these people, figure out who they were, let them. And at this point, I mean, it's a lot of work. So let the, let the person who tests positive go back seven days and try to contact whoever to say, hey, we hung out on this day. You need to stay at home and isolate. That's how, that's how you prevent the spread. But if people, people aren't going to listen to their doctor saying, oh, you probably have it, you know, but I can't test you. So, and if they have a mild course, they're not going to take it seriously. Right. I, but I think, you know, that's why we have these shelter in place orders is that right. I think the authorities are at the point where they're like, we can't do that, con- that, that identify and then trace the contacts, identify, right. trace the contacts. Because but we are now in Nebraska, we're also one of eight places that do not have a shelter in place. <laughs> right. Not even in, not even for the city of Omaha. No. 
Oh, yeah. So no place in, in I Nebraska. I feel like I'm living in the, a third world country and, in and the United States. I, I, um, I'll bet you, maybe not, but um, that uh, Nebraska is one of the states that allows people to congregate at church. Um, that is a good question. I'm not sure. I, I was just, there's a... <laughs> There's a clip on CNN. Um, they're interviewing some ladies who's coming out of church. There are, there are, yeah, a bunch <laughs> of states who's, uh, who have given exception to church services. Insane. Yeah. Insane. That's, that's basically, you know, setting, some people will die because of that. You know, that, that, that's just the bottom line. So I'm curious, um, because we talked about it in the past, how are the, the, personal protection equipment supplies running for you. Oh my gosh. So with my hospital system, it was like, you know, we have plenty, we have plenty, we have plenty. Don't worry. Don't reuse your mask. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) like, like we didn't see this coming now. No one, you don't get an N95 mask, you know, unless you're doing, you know, the, aerosolizing procedures you have to check out a gown you know you have to you can you have to use a surgical mask um like your entire shift well actually you can have you can change it once a shift um but it's but now all of a sudden it's like oh wait and we're not even close to our peak yet right so you can't do you when you see patients who have well because any one of them like you said the, the 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 symptoms of this are so widespread any, you know, anybody, virtually, anybody and, with a symptom, a GI symptom or a respiratory symptom is a potential patient. Yes. So are you wearing an N95 mask? No, I can't. Or, Absolutely. 100% no. I'm wearing a surgical mask. Oh God. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's just laughable. And that's why that's, unfortunately, that's why so many healthcare workers are coming down with it too. Correct. So hundred percent. And it's interesting because, you know, it's also looks to be a, viral load at time of, of infection with your severity of illness. So like if you go to the store and touch something that someone else touched and then touch your mouth and it gets into your system, it's, it's just a foreign, you know, virus that your immune system is going to start mounting a response to, but it's going to be initially, you probably hear Sophia crying in the background now, Uh Um, (laughs) but it's going to be, your immune system is going to start working while it like works its way through your GI system and then gets to your lungs. And, you know, maybe you breathe it in a little bit, but that, that dose that you're getting is not great. At least Mm. at at first, it's going to replicate within your body, but your, your immune system's starting to your immune system starting to fight it as opposed to standing next to a patient listening to their lungs who then you know coughs right next to you is going to be a much different you're talking about a much different situation Uh, Um, and and that's and that's why the severity with with healthcare workers tends to be higher than than the general population um so i'm I'm curious are you i have read that um like doctors are being laid off um, and not just in, let's say, you know, specialties that where they're like orthopedic surgeons, where they're doing a lot of um, elective surgeries, but even kind of, you know, family medicine doctors because business is down. So is, is business slower these days? Yes. Yes. Because a lot of our, you know, businesses on wellness and physicals and, and people who have other problems um, are who who aren't having like an emergent issue are trying to not come in, right. so which they shouldn't. 
um, and we should be pushing physicals out and right. we should be keeping, you know, people at home. Um, we are now there. They were like behind the eight ball with getting telemedicine working because right now I can do a video visit with you and build the same amount as an in-office visit. So it wouldn't change, you know, wouldn't change my productivity much at all, except yeah. we were too late in getting it rolled out. Not too late. I mean, we're working on it now, but we're not, we're still not able to do it quite yet. Whereas you look at Cleveland Clinic and they've been doing it for probably four weeks now. Right. You know, um, but yes. So we just recently were told that we were going to have to potentially cut our own hours um, to some degree because a lot, because we're all, you know, production based. So your salary is based on your previous six months production. Yeah. Um, yep. And everyone across the board's numbers, whether you're in primary care or specialty are, are low. We're still obviously seeing a lot of patients and a lot of sick patients, but we don't have jam packed, you know, scheduled with all of our other, other stuff right now. Um, so it was brought up to us that we could, you know, take our vacation if we wanted to our PTO time. Well, thank you, but I can't go anywhere. So I'm not going to use my PTO time. <laughs> um, or you could go unpaid just take some t unpaid time off. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, can't do that either. It's um, such a, such a perverse scenario where we've got this epidemic and it's actually causing docs to lose work. And there's a <laughs> lot, there's a lot of doctors who are, whose salaries are being cut. Right. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the specialists who aren't able to do anything right now. I'm talking about even, you know, in primary care where people are having to take big right. pay cuts and it's, it's, I, I find it awful because even if you're seeing 25% of what you usually see and those 25% are these sick patients who you're trying to take care of. And I should, you know, preface that by saying when I'm go to work, just because I'm only seeing, you know, maybe a third of the number of patients that I usually see, don't think for a second that I am not constantly answering patient emails and phone calls and refilling stuff for patients and calling them and trying to take care of stuff so they don't have to come in because we're getting inundated with phone calls right. and, and messages. And I'm not sitting there twiddling my thumbs and not doing patient care stuff, you know, by any stretch. So, but, but the, but then, but that doesn't translate into billable Rabbit hours. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I would so curious about, you know, if the executives and administration are taking pay cuts, huh. you know what I mean? Like yeah. what, a, like we're the ones who, when we are seeing patients are seeing sick patients. Right. And, and are at the highest level of risk as we've talked about. Absolutely. Everyone else is behind a desk yeah. somewhere and yeah. it's just, it's all a joke. And actually the, the, you know, um, the, the kind of the, grocery stores and other places where we've got to have employees, um, you know, Amazon warehouse workers, let's say yeah. they all have been getting higher pay because yep. those companies understand that they're in harm's way. Like hazard um, pay. Yep. Yeah. It's essentially hazard pay, but yeah, no, we get nothing. And then, you know, just because we recently did our taxes, we also don't get any, benefits or breaks on our our student loan interest payments because we make too much money to get any break right. on our 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 loan payments we don't get any of the stimulus money because you you make too much money to qualify for anything um it's 
I don't know. It's it's kind of sad. Yeah, you're kind of stuck in the middle. Now, granted, um, without a doubt, a lot of people a lot of people have it way worse than either you or or I. Uh, oh, without a doubt, yes. So, so these absolutely. are you know the so-called first world problems, but they're 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 still real. No no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. No, I and my issue comes down to um, hospital administration. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Like you should be protecting the people who are actually doing the patient care. Um, and, and that that's not just docs. Like we should know that's that's nurse practitioners and PAs and, and nurses, nurses and, and medical assistants, correct. Staff yes. and all all the because, people. Because when I, when the physician's job gets cut or hours get cut, then that person's medical MA or nurse's hours get cut. Get cut. And yeah there's a ton of these people that are living paycheck to paycheck, yeah. you know, yeah. just like, just like everyone else who's working in, you know, places that are closed right now. And it's, it's crazy. Now, some of that federal stimulus money was specifically to hospital systems to, to address, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, higher costs in some cases or revenue shortfalls or a combination of both. So yeah, yeah interesting to see how that plays through. Um, so I'm curious, are, when you go out in public these days, you know, off the job, are you wearing a mask? Well, I just, I don't, I don't go out much at all. Um, right. I mean, I go to work and I come home and I think in the last three weeks I've been inside of three stores. Okay. So you're pretty much sheltering in place yourself. Oh yeah. Right. Well, for multiple reasons. One, because like nowhere's quote unquote safe. But also, there's not many places I would want to go with two children yeah. anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, there's been, I try to do all my grocery shopping via delivery um, or pickup, but that's obviously blown up. So I can't always get it when I need when I need it. <laughs> right. So I've had to go to a couple of stores. Um, but otherwise, I've gone nowhere. Um, we None of us have gone anywhere. Well, do you rec? So there was some controversy. The CDC came out last week and said, you know, we recommend people wear a mask but it's voluntary and the president you know famously said he's not going to wear a mask Um, yeah that was so comical i guess what i would say is that there's two sides to it if wearing a mask out in public gives people a false sense of security then i don't mm -hmm. i'm not i don't back it but if otherwise people are wearing a mask while still doing the sheltering in place only going out when they absolutely need to then it is helpful because It's yeah. something. It's yeah. some barrier. Um, yeah. But if it's doing it and then making people feel like they can go out because of it, then um, then no, it doesn't help. That's counterproductive at that point. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So, okay. Well, and yeah. we we uh, in the in the previous uh, episodes we've talked about treatments um, and and vaccines. Anything anything that you've seen um, on either of those fronts that's uh, at least hopeful? I've seen a lot of actually. Um, a lot of kind of new information on hypothetical or, or stuff that people are using that isn't necessarily causing harm and might be helping. Um, so there's a lot of information behind um, zinc and something called Montelukast, which is used for people with asthma um, and asthma allergy kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's an, what's called an IL-6 inhibitor. And IL-6 is one of the... Um, interleukins that's found to be a big player in like a cytokine storm picture. So blocking that is maybe beneficial. Um, 
zinc does something kind of similar to what hydroxychloroquine might do. Um, I'm interested in, in a lot of, you probably hear Sophia breathing heavily because she just joined us. <laughs> Hi, Sophia. Yeah, I maxed out my time where I could yeah. hide from her. Uh, yeah, we, we have gone probably a little longer than we usually do. So that's, that's but okay. I'm But there's a lot of information about how, you know, we used to think that this causes ARDS like we see typical classic ARDS, but it's a very different lung injury picture. So the treatments are are therefore, you know, needing to be adjusted. And there's a lot of stuff at like a, an intensive care level that has been really interesting. Um, but there's also been stuff um, like ivermectin, which is an anti kind of, um, it's like used in animals for worms. And then, um, huh. and then like scabies, that. scabies is another one. Um, that we use this ivermectin for that seems to have like kind of an effect of hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, but much greater. Um, so there is, there is some interesting stuff. And then a lot of the mortality morbidity from, from the COVID patients who are severely ill or dying is a hypercoagulability state. So a lot of like blood clots, so heart attacks because of clots, um, pulmonary yeah. emboli, um, all this stuff. So the, so the question there is, cause they're all being treated in the hospital with blood thinners and like heparin or Lovenox. So it kind of makes you wonder if, you know, taking a baby aspirin might be beneficial. <laughs> not that I'm recommending that. I'm not recommending that. Um, but there's a lot no, of we, stuff out there. None of, none of what we talk about is, is, uh, should be used for medical treatment no, decisions. <laughs> we, we get that disclaimer <laughs> yeah. at the end. So yeah. just listen to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you get back to, uh, your family, uh, before we, we go too much longer here, um, and enjoy your, your day off before you hit the front lines again tomorrow. So. All righty. Good. Well, great, great catching up with you. And um, let's uh, let's cross our fingers and pray that uh, that things start to get better sooner. So. <laughs> All right. Okay. Take care. Love you. you Love you too. Bye bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com. That's spelled T H E D R A N D D A D dot com for show notes to any of our podcasts as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.